0: for the peterson automotive museum this is car stories today we are down in huntington beach at bbi autosport i'm sitting with batim barisha and is this your engine room what, what yeah, room are we yeah, in? yeah thanks for coming down we're in uh we're in the engine room this is uh, a beyond cool place yeah. i i you offered to come up to the museum, and I sort of selfishly said, no, I'll drive down to Huntington Beach, and it's, they're, they're not close, it's it's a little bit over an hour, and right. totally worth it, because I just, I saw some videos of you guys on YouTube, um, I like Porsches, I like cars, I wanted to see a whole bunch of late model Porsches nice. torn apart, so yeah. thank you for having me, uh, if you guys want to see his work, go to bbiautosport.com, uh, you can see all the stuff, but Tim does. Uh, Let's get into it. Let's let's start with what kicked it all off
1: for you. What is your earliest automotive memory? Well, my earliest automotive memory was um, the the thing that really sparked it all is my dad had this was back in 1984. I was four years old. He had uh, the Z twenty eight Camaro T top, burgundy seats, the whole bit, you know, and. I remember I would giggle uncontrollably every time he'd get on the throttle and I think that was the first steps in kind of you know automotive this is this yeah. is this is awesome you know and then ever since then I've just been infatuated with cars
0: it's crazy how Fast, you probably thought that car was.
1: Oh, I mean, I thought it was insane. It was you probably, probably thought like, it was a rocket ship. Yeah, I thought it was the fastest thing on the planet. I, I mean, probably three hundred or two hundred and five horsepower. Oh, or something like yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure my 4, focus or a nice Camry could probably keep oh, yeah, up with Cam- it now. A Camry would be able to hang I, with it. No,
0: I I completely understand. I remember riding in a like an SVT Mustang, like a '97. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you know, we went a hundred miles an hour, and I just went that. There, that's it. Yeah. There, you cannot get faster than that. That is. We are going, you know, this is racing. This is land speed records. Yeah, we're, we're lighting the world on fire. And now you look at it and it's like, ah, you know, especially with what you guys are working on. And so just as a kid, just immediately into cars?
1: Yeah, immediately. And um, where'd, parent, you grow, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Washington State, up in you know the suburbs of Seattle, in Bellevue. And, um, you know, we it's, there was a, kind of a small car culture up there back then, you know, and it, it was a primarily, I mean, I'll tell you, like, kind of growing up, you know, when I when I was 16. I worked at a Texaco gas station. There was a couple of guys there that that went out to the drag races and did some street racing and I had I have a 67 Mustang that we built up and it was um and not really built up. Again, we thought it, I I was 16 you thought, years you old. You thought it was built I up. I thought, you know, I remember running like 14 second quarter miles. That's a, fast. Yeah, that's, that's sub not, 100. Yeah. And you know, because I built this 351 and, with my dad and we just thought this is it, this is it, you know, yeah. doing one-legged burnouts everywhere. And it was I kind of just always tinkered and always was in love with it but even before that my parents got me a turtle be- before I could even walk and I was driving around like a car they had to take it away from me so a physical real turtle yeah they're like here's your pet turtle and then they said okay he's gonna kill it because he thinks it's a car you nice know?
0: so <laughs> <laughs> I feel I don't bad turtles. I do that's a sign that like we got to get him into something, or it's a sign like we got to take him somewhere <laughs> yeah. to to have him evaluated. we got to have him looked at. Um, were, were did you realize you're early on you were mechanically gifted or inclined? Did you realize
1: you were good with tools? Okay, so back then I wouldn't call it gifted. My parents wouldn't either. It was taking things apart, but I was always interested. I could just never get the vacuum back together. We wanted yeah. to learn how stuff worked. Yeah, and then my parents, um, they gave me Legos. And I said, all right, well, you're going to have... Uh, and I would never build what was on the the cover. Like I would always turn it into like a semi truck or a race car, even if it was a spaceship. They got me, you know. Yeah. And um, I was just always enamored with taking things apart, building it, and trying to see how it worked, and then if you can improve it, and you know, and that that spawned you know into riding BMX bikes, and then trying to weld my own frame in shop class that ended horribly with an explosion. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I've just always been completely obsessed with anything mechanical, and, and I, my focus turned to cars when I was 14, really. It's always been cars, but then I actually yeah. started working on them. And, and uh, Was that the Mustang? That was the Mustang, yeah. I bought it from my aunt. My, well, actually, my parents helped me, but it was lawnmower money. Got it for 800 bucks. She's actually out in the parking lot still. So you still got it? Yeah. Okay. yeah it ha- hasn't run since 1999, though. Okay. Well, you got a lot of other projects yeah. you're working on. Right, right.
0: Um, what? When did the fascination or the interest
1: turn towards Porsche? I was eight years old. And like I said, I grew up in Washington in the suburbs of Seattle. And there's this guy that maybe you guys know. His name is Bill Gates. He. Okay. I, wait, he, wait. I think he does something with. Small success in the 90s. Go yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. He had, he had a quick little fire yes. up, you know, start up, you know. Anyways, Bill Gates had a gray market 959. And yeah. I remember my dad, my uncle, and they were all talking about it, you know. And then my cousin and I actually were playing in the front yard and we saw it drive by. And I remember Was he driving it? I, I don't I couldn't see inside, I'm sure he was. Yeah. But because apparently my uncle lived pretty close to where he lived and I remember seeing that thing and that was it. That for some reason that it was that and I could still vividly, vividly paint the picture of the car driving by us, my cousin and I chasing it down the street when we were eight. Do you know how many people would cite Bill Gates for getting them
0: into engineering or into tech or into computer design? uh you know they watch a biography about him and yeah. that you might be the first and last to ever say bill gates got me into porsches or got me into wanting you know more involved yeah, in
1: cars probably and then yeah that's that yeah I, I mean to me that's that was the most thing and the only reason why i knew it was his because i remember asking it was the only one uh, it was the only one yeah yeah and, and he lived not too far so i had to put those two and two together and i knew it wasn't a replica because you see those every once in a while, but I was eight; and it could have been. But you know, looking forward, I had to have been that no, one. No, that
0: that car was a big deal because they weren't here. The nine nines weren't right. here, and, and Bruce Kennepa, I think, made it legal or, or, right. or got it somehow. Did a le- it was a legally imported, legal to drive, um, gray market right. car. Yeah, uh, which I'm sure, as an eight year old, is what probably you were talking about. Right. Uh,
1: Talking about the oh yeah, I, I, and yeah and I, I called important. Bruce up at eight. I was like, "Hey, that was the car, right?
0: Yeah. You you worked on that one, so so it turns to Porsche. You're, you're mm-hmm. wrenching on Mustangs. Um, you're you're in high school, yep. and what I found really interesting about you is you didn't finish high school. You dropped Correct. out, right? What
1: what was the whole reasoning behind And, You that? know, to be honest, I it was it was one of those things where I wasn't interested like and I could and I was so obsessed with cars and I I would skip I would skip school Mm -hmm. to go work on my car and I was taking auto shop and I would skip school to go to auto shop actually Jared and I went to high school together so and it wasn't that I really dropped out as just my senior year I just didn't really go and I was focused on cars and that's all I cared about you know and I was um you know here's the lucky thing is my parents that drove them crazy they they could not stand that yeah my sister a straight a student really really intelligent educated she's got street smarts and everything she's you know the whole yeah you know, I just told my parents I'm like well I'm not dumb I just I just don't care you know yeah. and hindsight I, I wish I wish I would have kept going you know but yeah, yeah. but uh, I ended up st- I still ended up going back to the community college and getting getting my uh, you know fin- completing it a few years later With GD yeah and but the cool part is my parents said, fine, that's good. But now it's time, you know, you you there is no fallback plan anymore. It's interesting because when I learned that
0: and I sort of was doing my homework on you and research, I didn't then look at you as here's a, or a high school dropout. Right. I kind of looked at, oh, here's a guy who was beyond high school. Here's somebody who high school couldn't keep up with his learning. So he had to sort of move on early because he was so in a hurry to learn other things especially things that interest him
1: right and i had so i had some key key uh teachers back then that recognized that and it was pretty cool you know what was hard is i didn't recognize that then yeah. i just i just thought i was like man i can't get a grade for the life of me i couldn't while the teacher was talking i was drawing trucks like pictures of trucks with mud on the windshield yeah. and like i was seven but i was 18 no you I, know? I
0: i'm the same way i i I love to learn. Yeah. I love to read about things. I love to take in as much knowledge as I can. Mm-hmm. I was the world's worst student. I just yeah. I could not do a homework assignment to save my life. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and and I don't know how. I think because my mom's a teacher, yeah. I got through high school. I think there were some couple semesters where it wasn't uh it wasn't a sure shot thing right. that you know, it wasn't oh he might not go to UCLA. There was a he might he can't pass a P.E. class. Yeah,
1: we're worried here. Um,
0: so it, uh, not even just math, just, you know, we can't get him to dress out for P.E. Right. Um, so I, I definitely, I don't, I, not, not that I sympathize, but I, I understand your sort of where you were coming from. Was it a hard decision to make when you went to your parents and said, look, I'm just going t- to start working?
1: No, to be honest, it wasn't. That's what I'm saying. It was kind of hard to recognize then. When you look back, you're like, okay, well, luckily the right steps. But then you're just like, oh well i'm not good at school i don't know what i'm doing next i don't yeah. know you know it's and it was pretty i remember it was pretty disappointing but my parents were supportive you know they were just like all right well here you got to keep pushing and i was already working at the, t- the gas station then i went to a ford dealership as a porter mm-hmm. and that was almost like i was like um worst job in the world, porter. Yeah, I still I liked it because I was around cars. Yeah, and but but when yeah. you look
0: back on it, you're going for you know six bucks an hour. Yeah, I was doing. I, would, I Yeah,
1: and in Washington State, and it's cold in the mornings. You know, oh, it's like I I was you wash a car,
0: then it start pouring rain on it again. At a Pontiac dealership in San Bernardino. That's during awesome. the summer where it <laughs> that's was just, awesome. that's like the whole other end of the spectrum black Yukon Denali's black on black wash them in 112 degree heat yeah.
1: and the soap bakes onto the paint before you even I think everybody
0: everybody involving cars needs to be a porter I at think some
1: so. point true appreciation
0: it's like the PA position yeah. you know instead of but in the automotive world mm-hmm. I, I think everyone needs to become a porter yeah. and so and that's what you did you just you jumped into the Ford dealership and
1: yeah, and then right porting. after. so th- I'll take it a couple steps back when I was 12 years old and earlier on I, I loved being bmx riding and that's uh, dirt jumping i broke so many bones of my yeah. body and then there was a place called park place motors up in washington state that was a consignment store but they had a couple of things like Superformance performance cobras there they had cool stuff yeah some cool they they had some cool marquee brands that they that they would that they were distributors of and i kind of knew the owners because i'd walk in there and I, I they'd have a cobra and i remember calling out when i was like 14 years old that that's not a ford engine even though they moved the distributor to the front it was a big block a chevy you know yeah. like and then they said, oh, well, when you're 16, we're giving you a job. The day I turned 16, showed up there. Sorry, so, we can't insure you. Huh. When you're 18, you're going to get a job. So the day I was still at the Ford dealership, when I turned 18, sayonara, I'm going here. And started working there. And, and what were you doing there? Porter. So that okay? Yeah, I, I didn't care. I just wanted cooler, to be around. cooler, cooler Porter. Way cooler cars. Okay. You know, and... We, we didn't do... I was a little bit of a troublemaker growing up, too, and I had a good group of friends that we all worked there, even my cousin. Like, I just got everybody jobs there, so it was almost like a hangout. And Did you go on mini dealer trades or have to deliver cars? Of course. Best thing, right? Of course. Best yeah, thing. You get we, or we'd, have to pick, we'd have to pick cars up from the auction. Yeah, you get to go would, drive stuff for yeah, 30, 40 minutes. New, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That
0: was secretly the best gig. Yeah,
1: exactly. And that, that was some of the most trouble I got into also is because I've, I don't know why my boss is trusted us but they go go pick up these brand new bmws you know seven series at the auction and we're nose to tail in the carpool lane (laughs) not thinking that the my boss the owner of the store who dropped us off wasn't able to be in the carpool lane so chances are he wasn't too far ahead of us saw us go flying by nose to tail well over 100 miles an hour you just told him you're excited to get back and get back to work just and then i was on probation and then i did something else dumb so i was the first kid to be on probation on probation there but I still talk to them, you know.
0: Well, it means they must like you. They did, if yeah. If they didn't fire you after all, yeah, right?
1: that. They, you know, because I was a hard worker, and, I, and I, they could see the true passion that I had for it, you know. Um, and then after that, th- th- what got me into Porsche is there's a small shop, Ford All Motorsports, in the back um, that did uh, Grand Am Road Racing back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And still, Greg is still a chassis engineer for Alex Job and some factory-supported teams. mm mm-hmm. um, I'd go sweep floors in their shop. So, like cup
0: cars they were building? Yeah,
1: cup cars. And he had a 993 RSR at the time um, that they were racing in the Grand Am in the circuit. And so I I kept begging him, let me go, let me go, let me go. And he took me, finally. But I consequently got fired from my job because they said I couldn't go. So I was like, all right, I'm out. You know, I came back thinking I still had a job, like kind of like a little naive again. Yeah. Like, no, you're done. So I begged him to give me a full time position. And, And what were you doing there? Uh, I started working just cleaning up at the shop, and then uh, when we went to Mid Ohio, that was it was a '99, I believe. We went to Mid Ohio for a Grand Am road race. I remember getting it was my first ever. I was only supposed to like carry tires back and forth to get them changed or get them switched out for new rubber, and clean, keep the car clean when it came in. You know, just basically stay out of the way. Yeah. But you, you I were just, a, a racetrack porter. Yeah, exactly. I was just, and then um, the person changing the driver's pa- or the pr- passenger side front tire got sick, so that was my opportunity. I uh, practiced, and I remember all my hands were bleeding because Greg would really – he wouldn't let you go over the wall unless he knew that, that, that you weren't going to slow up a pit stop. So yeah. my first race ever, I got to change tires, and I was actually pretty decent at it. I wasn't as quick as everybody, but I wasn't ridiculously slow, so he saw that there was potential there. I uh, got hired there and started – then I remember changing my first shock. was in a, a set of Coney Yellows in a 19 – I think it was an 86 – 911, like a Targa. I was doing the rear shocks and that was my so first... So this
0: wasn't during a race, this was...
1: No, that. this was going back, back home after on. he finally hired me.
0: So did you did you just sort of pick up a formal training or, or learning Porsches, or did you have to really go, I'm going to study these cars and learn how they all work?
1: Pure obsession. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there was no formal training. Greg trained by throwing you to the wolves, you know, and he was very hard on you, but... Like, he, he treated you with a lot of respect, but he was very, very hard on you, you know? And it was... Sort of bring the best a, out of a you. A very intense training program. That was sink or swim. Like, fine, if you can't hang, this is how fast we're moving. This is where we're going. This is what we're doing. This is what has to happen. If you can't hang and do it well, then we're- And did you sort of have this feeling of, I can't do anything
0: but hang? Yeah. If I don't hang, I'm done. Yeah. Where am I going to go? So I need to hang.
1: Yeah. It's... Absolutely. It's, it's
0: interesting when you... You know, you have friends who get a bachelor's degree. And you have friends who then go, I don't know what I want to do. I'm going to go get my law degree. Mm-hmm. And then when they go get the law degree, they go, I'm going to pass the bar. Right. And then you go, well, do you want to be a lawyer? And they go, no. But in worst case scenario, I can always become one. Or right. in worst case scenario, I can always become a teacher. Right. And it might, I don't know, it might like... That might hold you back in the long run, and nothing against people who who have a lot of formal education, but I do think there is something for that. I'm just going to jump off, and I've got to perform as—actually, I have to perform better than what I'm used to, Mm -hmm. because if I don't, I have nothing. Yeah. There's nothing to go back to. There is no
1: plan B. There is no fallback plan. I've I've, never—I mean— It's probably been a blessing for me, but I've never had.
0: I mean, really, do you think if you went to McPherson and and you got a formal degree in in, you know engineering or um, you know you went you had a really formal education working on a
1: race team, you would have been as hungry to learn as quickly? I don't know. You know, I I really don't know. That's a that's that's a question that I actually ask myself a lot because, you know, fast forwarding here, running BBI as, as a business, what made me good at what what gave me the courage to start a business because I was good at what I did. Um, I don't get to exercise anymore. So then I started looking back. I'm like, well, I wish. Maybe I wish I would have gotten an education. But then, would I have been here? You know, like. Yeah. So it's one of those. It's a weird thing that cycles through my head every once in a while. Um, but it, I, the, the the hunger and the the I, it was almost laser focused. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it well. And there should be no reason why I can't do it just as well as the person next to me. That yeah. was always been kind of every actually. Sorry, I'm jumping around. I'll go no, back no. to the Texaco gas station. It's fine. There was an important lesson I learned there. The owner liked me. The shop foreman hated me. Just thought I was some punk kid, which I was. I was I was a loudmouth punk kid back then. And uh, I was there to run the register at night and clean up the shop after all the techs left. And it was a two-bay Texaco gas station. I mean, I, I my family's been going there when we lived up there up on the hill. And what happened was he... I would get bored and I'd just start kind of tinkering and organizing things. And the thing that... It was kind of pivotal for me. I I took, not knowing, just took the the hose, the, you know, the re, the the air hose reel, unwound it all the way, took some brake clean on a rag and cleaned it off, and then wound it back up, up because it was disgusting. Yeah. And that made the shop foreman, who didn't care much for me, tell the owner that guy is a good dude. You should hang on to him. I was like, wow. Through a little bit of just doing a little extra, I think, will help the whole way down the path. Yeah. You know, it wasn't whole, your
0: job. It wasn't your... Nobody asked you to do it. Yeah, and I wasn't was just, doing
1: it to kiss anybody's butt either. I was just trying to...
0: You are just trying to make the shop good.
1: Right. You are trying to make it as best yeah, as and it I was, can be. Yeah, I had time. I was bored. I was like, yeah. well, I may as well be, do something. I'm getting paid to be here. I may as well do something, you know? And, and so that... I remember it, the guy's name was Mike, and I remember having very few dealings with him, and they were all uncomfortable, but the fact is that the owner of the gas station pulled me aside and said, hey, he... Really appreciated that, and he he saw that, and he wants you to know that that was awesome. And, and I, he
0: followed it up with, and he doesn't appreciate anybody. He, he's
1: <laughs> pretty, not the happiest guy I knew guy that. In I knew world. that immediately. Yeah. Like, I think he got along with one guy there, and that you know, and um, that was that was literally it. And that from then on, I was like, I, I have the tools to, to follow my passion. I just have to work hard and learn. Yeah, that's it. I mean, there was. I remember my dad telling me. He said, "Hey, you have to." He's like, we don't, we don't have money. We don't have this. We don't. So if you want to be around cars and you want to be a car, I told him when I was younger, I want to be a race car driver. But he said, you're going to have to learn about cars. And because I don't know much about them. You don't, you know, so you're going to have to learn, you know, and that's. No,
0: it's, it's, it all comes down to work ethic in any industry you're in. It's just early and often show up, uh, Outwork the guy next to you and mm-hmm. make yourself indispensable. Right. So, how long were you sort of working the the pit crew team? And I worked.
1: I worked. And in the race shop. Uh, Where from, did
0: you go racing?
1: I mean, uh, all over the all over the country. We did the yeah. Grand Am circuit. So that first race was at mid Ohio, and then so all the sort of iconic big tracks. Yeah, Mid Ohio Road America, Laguna Seca, Sears Point, um, Texas Motor Speedway, you know, Sebring, Daytona, Homestead. We did all of those and. It was amazing i got uh, you know i was almost 20 years old then i was 20 yeah i think about 20. and i started working all the all the way from 99 to 2003 um and in 2003 or 2002 my boss greg was the chassis engineer for a company called alex joe bracing and i think he still works for them Or works with them you know he still flies in and does that uh he was just in le Mans last week and he he brought me to Typically, I'm working on his race team, and mm-hmm. he brought me to the American Le Mans race team. And he said, "All right, you're in the, you're going to change tires at Sebring." And I was like, "I've made it." And I actually have the picture, yeah. you know, of, of my first race. And, uh, and was this a privateer or no? Was this was it? Alex Job. This was the factory-supported race team. So this Factory, is Porsche. Porsche yeah. but yeah, Alex Jobe Racing out of Florida ran the, runs the team. And at that time, Porsche that they were the fact, Porsche all, supplying cars, supplying parts, drivers, technical the yeah. technical. and so that was awesome. And so I got to meet a lot of the factory Porsche engineers from Germany and here in the States, because there's a facility here in Santa Ana. Um, in 2003, I left the nest. I left Greg for California in search of, to keep pushing my career. You know, was that BBI? Were no, you not yet. Before? Not yet. That was a company called mind over motorsport in San Diego. Um, because I met them at the tribute to Lamar race. It's a three, four hour p- uh, race held by the Porsche club and I, I flew down to help a team and I met a couple good guys down there and, and I just you know I was kind of enamored by the lifestyle down here yeah. you know it's I was like wow I can do what I love live in good weather and I don't have anything tying me down I was renting a room for four hundred dollars in what we called the party house up in Washington mm-hmm. and my mom kind of pushed me she's like all right you're 23 it's time to go explore yeah. you know and don't get stuck here you know and and it was not that I was stuck I love it you know and I still talk to Greg quite often and it's but I was always hungry for something next. What's next? What's next? I wasn't very patient either. Um, you didn't want to wait for it to come to you. No, you wanted to go get it. Yeah, and what, what I was chasing, I don't know. To be yeah. honest, I just knew that I wanted to be in racing and with Porsches. There's and, always,
0: there's something, I don't know. There's something great and a curse about just sort of never being content. Once you achieve whatever you're setting out to get you you never stop and go okay this is nice yeah you just immediately go okay what's next
1: there's no yeah there's no this is nice you you should love as, to be at that point yeah. sometime
0: i don't know where that is but you guys build these great cars and you don't strike me as a guy who once he completes a car goes all right let's enjoy this car let's look at this car let's think about this work we just did you you strike me as a guy who goes all right what's the next car how do we make this one faster
1: right yeah what did we learn what did yeah. we fail how do how do we improve you know and it's that that is a that in business also that's a curse, but it's also it's also something that that helps you drive drives uh, innovation and 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 keeps the company in a forward more moving. Yeah, direction. you're going to be
0: successful. You're going to have stress ulcers, but you're going to be
1: yeah. You're going to have some success. Right, but yeah, and then sometimes you know some people tell me they're like, okay, th- there's a there's a good enough point too. So then there's something that you can bring to market that's good mm-hmm. and just sell it because. it's good you know but then i'm always like ah what can we do you know and so but yeah anyways i moved down to california and worked at mind over motorsport and that didn't last very long because of my sharp tongue and i thought like okay i was 23 working on the factory porsche race team i thought i was king mr yeah (laughs) you know it's embarrassing now to look back it really is you know and and that's not too many years ago either but it's um, my mouth got me in trouble. I got fired. They said they couldn't afford me, and they did the nice thing. But I remember coming back the next day, and the whole shop was full with the new employees. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I saw after I started BBI, I kind of looked back at the and looked at the writing on the wall. But uh, I went up to, I drove up to here to meet my family. There flew in. My sister had a soccer game. I always wanted to go to Porsche Motorsport to see the guy and see where they were dynoing all the engines and building them for the cars that we were working on at the track. And I remember seeing. Uh, walked in I just had hey, like a tour and the technical director who recognized me from the track hey What are you doing here as he says that he's spilling oil on you know here? He, he kind of tripped up and he goes oh our dyno operators not here. I'm having to do the dyno now um, But he, he you know he was also in charge of you know keeping the shop moving and yeah, and he goes, you want a job? Jokingly I go well just so happens. I'm homeless and jobless I'm not tied to anything. I was living on my boss's couch. I no longer have that so I'm living in my Volkswagen yeah, I'd love something, and and I said, how how serious are you on this? He goes, let me just talk, make a couple of calls. And I was like, holy crap, this is my thing. Anyways, that process was two weeks long because they wouldn't even consider me. No degree, no formal engine training. I literally didn't barely know how to check my emails, yeah. you know. And it, and if you're going to be a dyno operator, you're mapping engines, and you you have to you have to know your way around, you know, software. And so I, I just made them a promise. I'll be the best operator ever you know i will do whatever it takes i don't care if you need me to clean your toilets whatever it takes to get a job here i'll do it and i'll be better than the next person Mm -hmm. But what's your ultimate goal i remember the president uh, who is former president his successor was coming in and they were both interviewing me i said well i want your job one day and the alwin springer he laughed he says you need to slow down a little bit and get the basics done first i said fine but i'm going to be the best you'll ever hire for whatever job you put me at i can promise you that and you got the job. I got the job. I, I mean, by the skin of my teeth. Now yeah. Henry, the guy who was kind of pushing me to get the job and kind of trying to convince them, he said, "Now you have something to prove. Yeah, you want to keep this job, you have to. You have to do it. You know." So I worked at Porsche Motorsport. I remember starting in May of 2003, and I worked there all the way till 2007. And I so a good run. I had a good run, and then. In '06, I left full time, and I was just contracting to them for track support only. And that's when I started BBI on the side as a side project. You know, I had. Some, why, why, where did the idea of BBI come? come i always, from? I've always, ever since I was little, I'm gonna have my own shop one day. You know, yeah. and, and I remember people telling me, "Hey, you gotta you gotta slow down and you know and, and you know get a little bit of of experience." And I was like, "Well, I'm 26. I." worked for Porsche. I've been to Le Mans twice. I did eight Daytonas already, 24 hour. I've been to Sebring six times. I, I still, I thought I was, I thought I was there. I thought I was ready to start a business. Yeah. So in order to keep supplemental income coming in while I started BBI on the side, I, uh, I contracted the Porsche and did all the track support. So 36 weekends a year, I was out there running and, and doing mapping and everything. But you know, you look back now and that was 10 years ago, uh, 2006. Yeah. Um, I really didn't know what I was doing. Like I really thought I did. And I think that, that blissful ignorance was that, that, that confidence kept me, you know, kept me there. But it was, um, the more you learn, the more you realize how little you actually know. But you know, my career to here has been a stage of very, very fortunate and lucky, uh, set of circumstances that have happened. And very key people have helped me get to certain spots, you know, like back, you know, I remember that the guy at the gas station and then the four dealership that was fun but that was just it was i needed to make money i needed you mm-hmm. know and then working at park place the owners saw something in me and they didn't throw me to the dogs right away when they should have i would have fired me then um and then greg fordall at fordall motorsports he was the guy who saw some potential and wouldn't let me be a, a little mess up he's like all right you got to straighten your act out.
0: But how much of you, of it do you think that's the right place and right time versus you're just, you're putting, you're purposely putting yourself in places where you're going to meet the right people.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, and I've always had the gift of gab so I could, I could be in a situation and not be awkward. I can talk to engineers and I can talk to the race car drivers and I can talk, you know, so that, that helped me also. I was always I kind of joking around you know I, I i think being in the right place at the right time was huge but being prepared for that you know being a hard worker and trying to make it so nobody really could could second guess your work so a, even a, though you had your mouth they couldn't fire you over it because i was i was such a hard worker yeah. you know and you know even at Porsche i know my my bo- my poor boss henry probably wanted to kill me because you know i but i did everything i could to work hard and did you know and and, and it has paid off, because now we're over
0: at BBI. Yeah. It's a name in the tuning world everyone instantly recognizes, and the Porsche world people recognize. How did that – you guys – I I assumed you guys worked mostly in water-cooled Porsches. Right. And I thought that was unique, because right now it's everything's air-cooled. Right. There's this big renaissance for all things air-cooled. Um, and you guys are taking the the newest and the latest and the greatest – and you're making them even faster, right? Um, which most people would have thought isn't easy to do. So, what? Where did you sort of start on? We can take these GT2s, we can take these GT3s, we can take these Turbo Ss, mm-hmm. these hundred and twenty thousand dollar cars that they spend hundreds of millions of dollars engineering by some of the smartest engineers in the world. It was at, it was it kind of the same thing of the guy with the mouth going, "We can make them faster." Yeah, absolutely, one hundred
1: percent. I remember. Back when I first started BBI, I was like, the, the, here's what happened. I, I never say I know more than Porsche because I, I've worked ha- right I well, I worked for the motorsport department. That when you want to see Porsche do what you know what they what, can do, what they do. Look at the 919, look at the RSR, look at the GT3R. That to me is phenomenal. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um that's Porsche focusing on one task. When you look at the streetcar, which is a beautiful canvas for us to work on uh, their, their, their design criteria is a lot, mo- lot less focused. It's, and I'm not saying that in a negative. I mean, they have to cater to a wider audience. Where on the motorsport side, they have to cater to one thing as a checkered flag. So I, I said, okay, I, now that I'm working at Porsche, I see a hole in the aftermarket tuning industry for Porsche. Why don't we try to mix some of that? So, I mean, I immediately and naively decided to take a GT3 race engine and twin-turbo it. And put it in a street car and try to get the street e c u you know so I tricked the cams, I put different cam wheels on them, welded them up i i mean I did such well, it was such a headache trying to make this thing work because but I thought why, who doesn 't want a nine thousand rpm twin turbo yeah you know, and this was back when I had no idea how the factory e c u worked i just I remember okay, if I can do it in racing, why can't I do it for the street? But then it has to talk to the dash and, oh, wait, your tech doesn't go even up to 9,000. You know, red line starts at 6,800. And just all those little things that I started to obsess on. Why can't I do this? Why can't I? Why, can't, why, why? And here we are now, um, yeah, taking an already phenomenal car that's probably perfectly fine stock and modifying it to, you know, whether it's to tailor it to a customer's needs or, we're pushing the envelope for an upcoming project. You know, there's, um, but I'll tell you one thing, it is getting harder. It, and that's what I wonder. I, I watched, and this had to have
0: been five, six years ago now, yeah. uh, an episode of Jay Leno's garage. And I right. think they had moves a 997, mm-hmm. like a GT two, uh, you know, like the, the twin turbo, right? The, I think it was a GT two. And the Porsche representative said, you see this exhaust pipe? Cannot get more horsepower by changing the exhaust. Hmm. We have tuned this exhaust to be the absolute most perfect exhaust ever. Mm-hmm. You know, Borla, Magnaflow, flow, you know, no one's going to get more power than mm-hmm. we gave out of this. Right. And it, it was really a basically don't touch our cars because right. we know what we're doing. But that was five, six years ago. And now new Porsches, I mean, people are buying them from Circle Porsche and I assume take them to places immediately straight to you guys mm-hmm. going. Brand new Porsche, make it faster, right. and that's doable, or handle better, or, or or do some you know some sort some characteristic what, that they're missing. What are sort of the first components if you want to free up a little more horsepower, just get a little more performance? What are sort of the
1: no duh, let's just swap this out components? There's there's a few. Um, so when Porsche is stating something like that, I think they're saying that with. Given the design constraints, they have to the the box that they are given that they have to perform in. Right? They have a lot of strict laws. They have engineers. They have study groups. They have people saying that this is how loud it it can be. This Mm -hmm. is what the comfort level in the cab is. This is how light it has to be. This is our manufacturing tolerances. This is also we need to make one hundred and fifty thousand of these, or a hundred thousand, or ten thousand, or six hundred. I don't know. Whatever the so you know then then you have the the accounting department saying that no you. what are you crazy? You can't do that. You have to do this. So within that design constraint, Porsche has done a phenomenal job, you know, and I don't think anybody else can do better, but if you take away some of those things, which some people call a compromise, Mm -hmm. a little bit more noise, um, a little lighter, it costs, it costs more to manufacture because you're doing less volume. Um, There's there, you, you take, you, you, you compromise the design constraints and you end up with something that maybe it's better for a customer but if Porsche were looking at it, they're like, oh, that's, that doesn't work. That's- so we're,
0: we're in the world where, like, nothing's free. Right. No horsepower. There is no free horsepower. No. Getting more horsepower, you're going to lose something on the other end, either be it comfort, um, engine longevity, uh, you know, the how quickly the part's going to wear. Porsche kind of has it the absolute perfect balance of this is going to go 200,000 miles. It's not going to need to be serviced or maintained. We're going to get a ton of horsepower out of it. We're going to be able to make it in high volume. We're going to be able to make it at a relatively reasonable price. Right. You guys are going, okay, well, if we don't make it at a relatively reasonable price, if we're not worried about going 250,000 miles, if we're not worried about being under 90 decibels, here's what we can do.
1: Right. And that's exactly it. Yeah. That's, and then you, you get a result, you know? And sometimes, you know, if we're doing, for example, the the new GT3. We don't mess with any of the cats or the emissions or anything like that, the headers. We don't do anything there. All we do, it has secondary mufflers or the the two-side mufflers, Mm -hmm. and Porsche is kind of right. That exhaust system on the new GT3 is pretty good. It's phenomenal, actually. I mean, that center muffler is great. The headers, the cats, everything, everything that Porsche did there is great. So if I'm not after horsepower, I want a little bit more noise. What's my second best bang for the buck that I can do is wait. So... We'd knock 42 pounds off the back of the car by getting rid of the valves and the big suitcase mufflers. And we utilize a stock center muffler there, mm-hmm. which is a great muffler. I can't, it's hard to build something better, you know, to keep torque up and carry good top-end power. It really is. Um, and trust me, we've tried. We've been on the dyno. I think we have 14 different versions. But the, the compromise is too big, you know. Um, so we just said, all right, let's just do a simple solution. We'll do side muffler deletes. And I'm not going to advertise any horsepower gain because there is none. But what I will advertise is that you're saving forty-two pounds off the back of your car behind the rear axle, yeah. like a foot or eighteen inches exactly behind the center line. Exactly where you need it. Yeah, and that, t- where where can you drop forty pounds for less than a thousand dollars? I, me personally, I have no clue. Right. So, <laughs>
0: let alone most cars. Yeah.
1: No. And that's those are the so, you can go all out, but there are. You start as 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 it's funny as we mature as a company, we start to. Our design box, I'm starting to see why Porsche does things a certain way and why certain things are that way instead of just, you know, let's firing a couple faster, guns in the air and it. building some beautiful Inconel, you know.
0: Yeah. And Jeff work is a, I, I don't know what I call him, a big customer of yours. Yeah. Uh, and a friend. Yeah. A friend, yeah. Uh, a friend of the Porsche world. There's some great videos of you guys basically being his race prep team, built mm-hmm. his race cars for Pike's Peak. Mm-hmm. And you point out in one video that we basically built this car to go nine minutes. Yeah. And at the end of that, it's done. It is, These yeah. Parts. That, I mean, everything's that just was it. done. Yeah. And I, I look outside, and you have mostly street cars out mm-hmm. there. Mostly people who are probably going to just drive them down PCA. Not a lot of Pikes Peak. Not a lot of Pikes Peak Not races, a lot yeah. of not a lot of um, necessary roll cages, right? Um, or fire suppression systems. Right. But th- they must come in and go. Give me, give me what Zwart's got. Give me, give me a cup car. Let's let's strip everything out. Do yeah. you sort of have to manage expectations? We and, do 100. Just go. we nah, you don't need that.
1: We've built a couple cars that are kind of track per- track focused cars now that you know for a couple customers out of state that you know yeah the engine spins to 8800 RPMs it makes a low boost 700 wheel you know and we put a sequential gearbox in a street car really you know and then you know, it gets trailer to the track, rips around, and that the the, the car's scary. I yeah, mean, in, it's too fast. So in a race car, when you're strapped in, it's lightweight, it's designed for that, it's built. You know, you build this entire package for that. But when you have to carry the weight and you have, not you're not running slicks and you go to the track, you're you're, that is so much car to drive. It's unreal. You know, and so, yeah, managing the expectations is huge because. Any, I mean, we can build a thousand-horsepower 911. That's, yeah. We can do that, you know. So, but what are you going to use it for?
0: I, I, I've always, in my opinion, I, you know, I get to drive different press cars and different all sorts of different cars. I love. Give me, give me a 200-horsepower car that I can ring through every gear versus a Hellcat that I can't even get to hook up. Yeah, You know, you get on it, you can't even enjoy the horsepower because you're just, you're sideways before uh,
1: you know it. Right, and I mean if you, if you wanna go sideways and you're just gonna melt tires and go drifting everywhere, which drift. is fun, don't yeah. get me wrong, I love that, but. Um, you need a little balance. Yeah, I mean my daily driver is a 2001 Boxster. Really? You know, and we just did some suspension to it, and in S wheels and a little bit of brake work, and the engine's completely stock, I love that car.
0: That's cool. Yeah.
1: I, I mean, it's so much fun to drive. I got a thousand Cayman and Boxer questions for
0: you after, after right, the yeah. podcast, but I will, I will leave it, uh, all my nerd fandom, uh, and my own personal questions. till after awesome everybody, if you're remotely into anything automotive, it doesn't even have to be Porsches or racing, go to BBI autosport.com. Um, Look them up on YouTube, because there's some really good videos. We'll link to them at peterson.org. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. We have new episodes every Tuesday on iTunes and on peterson.org. If you like this podcast, share it with someone who you think will like it. Give us a good rating and review on iTunes. And thank you so much for listening. Uh, but, Tim, thank you so much for having me over. AJ, thanks for
1: coming down, and thanks, Peterson Museum. And I can't wait to get back up there. That's why, that's why I wanted to selfishly go up there. Well, ne- so. next time we'll yeah. have you up. All yeah. right, thank you so much. Thanks.